0: I'm going to begin a series and I'm going to start talking about, this is the title that I've given this, is How to Stay Positive in a Negative World. And this is something the Lord's really been speaking to me and I think that this is going to be a blessing to you. There's a lot of different names that you could put on this. Uh, You could talk about how to stay in faith in the midst of a situation where it's unbelief. Uh, You know, there's just a lot of different applications. This will be similar... ...to a teaching that I have that I've entitled... uh, ...The Four Keys to Staying Full of God. I don't know if any of you have ever heard that or not. But that is a teaching that has really been significant in my life. And every time I teach that, that really touches a lot of people. The difference between that is... ...that that's talking about when God has done something special in your life. How do you keep that current? How do you keep it uh, fresh and alive on the inside? What I want to talk about this week is not necessarily something that's personal, but about when, you know, my life is going perfect. Well, that's probably not true to say perfect, but it's going very good. We are really blessed. God is blessing us personally. God is blessing us in the ministry. It is not anything personal, but, you know, when you look out here at the world, it just seems like things are getting worse instead of better. And you know what? That has a tendency to discourage you. And what I want to talk about is about not necessarily how to keep something personal in your life, something that God has done to you alive and fresh, but how do you keep yourself positive when it seems like everything around you is uh, failing and things are going bad. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to make this point, but if you haven't neg- uh, noticed that we are living in a negative world, you just had not been paying attention. I'm not going to try and remake that point a lot, but there are a lot of negative things happening. There are things that are not going well at all. And I meet people all of the time and minister to people that are discouraged, not because of something personally that's going on in their life, but just, you know, as you see things going on in the world around us, it can affect you. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but there are a number of scriptures that talk about how that our heart is affected by the environment that we live in. And you can see this in a lot of things. When Jesus raised people from the dead, He always sought seclusion. He kicked out all of the unbelievers because the unbelief of other people could even affect Jesus who was operating in faith 100%. In the sixth chapter of the book of Mark, it talked about He was at His hometown and He could do, not wouldn't do, but could do no mighty work because of their unbelief. He was limited in what he could do, and certainly not limited because of anything personally, but the unbelief of other people around you affect you. And I I think too seldom do people recognize the effect that other people and environment have on you. And so there is an ungodly environment today. I mean, we are in many ways a post-Christian nation. I don't take any pleasure in saying that. It grieves me to say it, but you know what? I believe that if like the founding fathers of this nation came and saw where we are today and the things that are being done in this nation, that uh, I guarantee you they would be absolutely shocked. They would be absolutely overwhelmed to see where we are. Uh, You know, we minister around the world and just recently, some of you are aware of this, but just recently I taught a series on what I call Christian Philosophy 2. And it dealt with social issues. What is a Christian perspective and how are you supposed to feel about things? And uh, we played this on our programs over in the UK. And in the UK, their laws are so strict that it's against the law in the UK to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't say that. It's hate speech. And when I was broadcasting on television in the UK, they wouldn't let you say that. You could say that the Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but you couldn't state it as a fact. You couldn't say that Christianity was the correct way and that the Muslims are wrong. It's against the law. I I said things on my program before about things like, you know, spanking your children. I wasn't actually teaching on child training. I just made a comparison about spanking your children, and they bleep that out as if it was profanity. And just recently, I made a statement about homosexuality and said that it is wrong, and uh, that's considered hate speech, and I also had a statement that abortion is murder, and it's against the law in the UK to say any of these things. And so, we got in trouble with some of the government regulation, and because of that, we had to do some special things. And my point is that, you know what, that is happening in the United States. Some of you may not be aware, but they just passed this fairness doctrine thing. They attached it to a military spending bill and uh, something that was absolutely necessary to keep the uh, war effort going. And so they had even the conservatives in on that and they passed it. And of course, here they aren't enforcing this right now, but the groundwork has been laid so that they could consider anything, like I just quoted, hate speech, hate speech, and you see these kind of things happening, and you know what? It's discouraging. It's discouraging, not personally, but it's discouraging when you see evil prevail and you see people that are uh, taking the values that we have held dear and things. And it and it's discouraging. How do you stay positive in a negative situation? Let me just start by using these verses out of Joshua chapter one, and this is one of the things. I was recently studying Joshua and the Lord reminded me that back when we first began our ministry, the Lord spoke to me about that we were going to have a large impact and touched a lot of people. But you know, we went for decades and people stayed away from my meetings by the thousands. And I pastored churches and just very, very small groups. And so I had this vision on the inside And yet, on the outside, I couldn't see any of it coming to pass. And it was discouraging. And I was fighting discouragement. And I was actually, uh, my son Joshua back there, I forget how much he weighs right now, but he's a lot bigger than he used to be. I was watching him over Christmas, and he's probably, I don't know, he's close to 300. He might be 275. And I was watching him and thinking about When he was just a tiny baby and I was rocking him and fighting this discouragement over uh, all of the things that were going on. And I mean, I was really just trying to stand strong. I was reading this and the Lord gave me a song, the only song I've ever written. And I just started singing and this song came out about be strong and of a good courage. And I mean, it was a song from the Lord. It was for me. And it encouraged me and built me up. And when I was reading this recently, it came right here from from the book of Joshua. And this is what the Lord spoke to me. And this is what I'm trying to describe this week is how do you stay strong? This would be the scriptural terminology. How do you stay strong and courageous in the midst of fear and dismay or discouragement? And how do you do that? Here is the Lord speaking to Joshua. And Joshua was taking over from Moses... And that's a hard act to follow. And you know what? There was going to be a lot of people that just instantly compared him to Moses, this guy who did all these miraculous things. How do you fill in the footsteps of somebody who has been like Moses? This was an impossible task. And the Lord spoke to him and he says, Moses is dead. Now you go. And he spoke to him and he says, every place that the sole of your foot touches... I'm going to give to you just like I told Moses. He says, I'll be with you. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just like I spoke to Moses. And let me just read a portion of some of these scriptures. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 6, he says, Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto your fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous. You know, by him emphasizing this, he's saying that if you aren't strong, if you aren't courageous, if you do get discouraged, you are going to stop this from coming to pass. I won't take time to turn over and read this, but in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the Lord was speaking through Moses and he, told, he just... Uh, had given this prophecy that nobody's going to stand before you. Every single place that the sole of your foot touches, you are going to prosper, you're going to defeat all of the enemies. And then he turns around in Deuteronomy 7, 17, and he says, but if you say in your heart, these people are mightier than I, how can I dispossess them? And you know what, if you only take that, as saying that this is what we say. These nations are mightier than I. How can I dispossess them? Well, then there is no conclusion to that. There is no answer to it. Are you following what I'm saying? Here's what he was saying. If you say in your heart, these nations are mightier than I, then God is saying, how can I dispossess them if you... Get discouraged if you begin to start speaking about how impossible the task is. Or in the context of this, if you get dismayed, then how can I fulfill my will through you? You have to stay strong and courageous to see God's will come to pass in your life. The Lord doesn't automatically do things for you. He flows through you. And if you get discouraged or dismayed, you stop the process. You know, a scripture that I use often is Ephesians chapter 3 verse uh, 20 where it says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. And I have been in hundreds of churches where I've quoted that verse. And I said, how many of you believe that? And people will just shout, Amen, I believe it. And I say, that's wrong. <laughs> I've had pastors stand up before and lead the congregation in, Yes! And they just stand up and shout, Yes! And then I say, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's not what the scripture says. It says in Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. That means, the word according to means in proportion of or to the degree of the power that is working in us. If you become discouraged, you stop the flow of God. God flows through people. You know, this is so simple, I shouldn't even have to say these things, but I have to say it because there's so much confusion today about this. People think God just sovereignly works and that God, if He wanted to, could heal this person, could set this person free. And because we see problems in our world, people just assume that, well, it must be that God wants it to be that way and they wonder, why did God allow this? God flows through us and if we are discouraged, we stop the flow of God's power. Not everything that is happening is God's power, God's will. For instance, it makes it very clear in 2 Peter chapter 3, I believe it's verse 9, it says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You can't make it any clearer than that. It is not God's will for a single person to perish, and yet Jesus said that the majority would perish. There are more that go by the broad gate unto destruction than there are by the narrow gate unto everlasting life. God's will does not automatically come to pass. It's because He has to flow through people and there are so few people that are letting God flow through them and one of the things that is stopping God from flowing and releasing His power and causing more of of the goodness of God in this world is because Christians... Are discouraged either personally because of things in their life or because of just the things that they see in this world. And if you get discouraged, you stop the flow of God. So this is why the Lord was telling Joshua, He says, be strong and of a good courage. He told him he had to be strong and of a good courage or it would stop the will of God. "...of God that he wanted to accomplish through Joshua's life from coming to pass. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people thou shalt divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto your fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left." That thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, when you've uh, uh, meditated in it day and night, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid... Neither be dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Man, these are strong scriptures. But again, I'm just trying to emphasize how the Lord is telling Joshua, you've got to be strong and of a good courage. And notice, he told him to do two things. He says, be strong and of a good courage. And he told him not to do two things. He says, don't be afraid, neither be dismayed. These are opposing forces. If you are afraid and dismayed, then you are not strong and of a good courage. They counteract each other. So you've got to do two things and resist two things. And the word dismayed, you know, if you were to look this up in the NIV, it's talking about being discouraged. The word discouraged is just a compound word that means the loss of courage. If you aren't, if you aren't confident in the Lord, if you aren't excited about the things of God, then you're dismayed or discouraged. And you have to keep yourself encouraged. You know, I'm going to go into these things in more detail as we go through this whole series, but let me just mention quickly that David faced a terrible, terrible situation in 1 Samuel chapter 30. His own man spoke of killing him and stoning him to death. He had had his wives and children Uh, Taken and all of the men had had their wives and children taken. Their homes were burnt and it was a terrible situation. And after about 13 years of David being anointed to be king and he never saw it come to pass, instead his father-in-law had taken his wife from him and given her to another man. His father-in-law Saul was trying to kill him and he had run for his life and he had been persecuted every day and this was like the last straw. They came back and everything had been burnt. All of their wives and children were taken. It was a terrible situation and his men were so discouraged that they were going to stone him to death. And yet it says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, I believe it's around verse 6, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And did you know it was only a matter of hours until what God had promised him came to pass and he became king. He was right on the verge of victory, and yet he it looked terrible. It looked like the bleakest time of his entire life. And if David hadn't have encouraged himself, you know, this is a man that for thirteen years had stood strong and he hadn't wavered and he had been faithful to what God had told him to do, a lot of people would have thought, well, what does God expect? And with our logic today, we'd say he's in denial. He is not letting out his feelings. He needs to vent. He needs to quit holding it in. He just needs to sit down and cry for a while and get it over. That's the way that a lot of people feel, that you just are supposed to indulge your emotions. David was in a situation where I guarantee you, everything in the natural said be discouraged and be afraid. Just quit and give up. You've been strong long enough. Just for one time, break down and cry. But it says David encouraged himself in the Lord. And you know how he did it? He took the Word and he began to encourage himself. And it was just a matter of hours until the promises that God had given him all started coming to pass. If he would have given in at that last minute, he would have lost. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I see a lot of people today who they stand briefly for a period of time, but they only, they only stand uh, so long. It's like there are limits on how long they're going to believe God. You've got to just be strong and of a good courage. And somebody says, well, how long am I supposed to stand? Until it works. Amen. Amen. Until you're encouraged. You just don't ever give up. If you say, well, here's the line. I'm only going to go this far. I can guarantee you Satan is sharp enough to figure out where your breaking point is and he will push you to that point. But when you just say, it doesn't matter. I'm not quitting ever. I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to change. And you just, make, you just draw a line in the sand and say, I'll never cross it. This is it. And you know what? When you do that, it makes a huge difference in the results that you get. And this is what he was telling Joshua to do, was to be strong and of a good courage. Look over in Matthew chapter 24. For those of you that are familiar with this passage of scripture, this is Jesus talking about the end times. His disciple had asked when the end times would come and what it would be like. And here's Jesus teaching on the end times. And you know, I don't know for sure that we're in the end times, but I can tell you this is my end times, amen. <laughs> These are my last days. And so I'm, I'm believing God for great things. Matthew chapter 24, in verse um, 5, it says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. You know, I have read that passage of Scripture since I was a kid. And I've heard it prophesied that there would be many coming. And I've heard stories about like in the Baha'i faith. I don't know how many of you are aware of the Baha'i faith, but they believe that Jesus came back. I forget the exact year, but it was in early 1900s, and things were in such a mess, He decided He'd go back and come a third time. And that's the Baha'i faith and stuff. And I've heard stories about things like that, but honestly, I thought, this is weird. Did you know Jamie and I were driving to church back in May... I think it was, and they advertised the Jesus Christ show coming on. And I thought about, oh, this is weird. I wonder what this is about. And we listened, and it was a guy on our local radio station in Colorado Springs. It's syndicated around the nation, and he is claiming to be Jesus. And people called in, and they were saying, well, what about this? And he says, well, I remember when I was hanging on the cross, how hard it was for me. And this guy is telling people these things. This is no longer off in the future. There are people today saying that they are the Christ. And this guy has a syndicated Jesus Christ show telling people about when he was here on the earth and what he did. This is a sign of the end times. In verse 6 it says, You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all things must Come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famine and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. Boy, all of that is coming to pass. And these are the beginning. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. You know, that is one strong statement right there. This is saying that because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. And as a matter of fact, if you look this word up, when it talks about the love of many, it's not really talking about just many, it's talking about most, the majority. As a matter of fact, let me just... I was reading this this afternoon and I wrote down some of the translations. Here's the NIV. It says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. The New American Standard says, Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. The Phillips translation says, Because of the spread of wickedness, the love of most men will grow cold. Weymouth said, And because of the prevalent disregard of God's law, the love of the great majority will grow cold. The Amplified says, And the love of the great body of people will grow cold because of the multiplied lawlessness and iniquity. This is not talking about just a few. This is saying that when evil grows and prevails, it affects the relationship of people with God. That's a strong statement. And you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but again, if you don't agree with this, you aren't paying attention. That we are living in a wicked time. We are living in a time where, I mean, things that... When I was a kid, if you would have told anybody that they would be having parades where people are bragging about being homosexuals and promoting it and flaunting it, people would have thought that will never happen. There's always been homosexuals, but people used not to have parades and brag about it and be bold about it. We are seeing lawlessness. We are seeing iniquity abound. If you don't share that opinion, you just uh, aren't paying attention. You aren't thinking properly. We are living in a wicked time. And the scripture says that when this iniquity abounds, the love of most people will wax cold. And this word for waxed, you know, it's it's a word picture. The way that they used to make candles is a, they would take a wick and they would dip it in hot wax and lift it out. And in just a second time out... It would uh, that wax would harden and make a little coating around the wick and then you dip it again and you just do this over and over and over hundreds of times and you put layer after layer after layer of just thin wax on there and eventually that's how they made a candle was by just a repeated dipping of that candle into hot wax and then lifting it out. It's describing this process. This is something, it says that the love of most will grow cold. It doesn't just happen all at once. It's like, uh, you know, the proverbial frog in the water that if you put it in hot water, it'll jump out. But if you put it in cool water and heat it gradually, it'll stay in there until it burns to death. And this is what's happening in our society. It's not just one thing all at once. But we are seeing such an increase of wickedness that just layer after layer, insensitivity after another, people are growing a little bit colder and a little bit colder and aren't even recognizing what's happening. The wickedness around us will affect us if we let it. I'm going to be sharing things with you about how to stop this and how to reverse it, but first of all, you can't solve this problem if you don't even recognize that it's happening. I'm telling you, the association, the environment that you live in, affects your love for the Lord. When we live in a wicked society, it affects the way that you love God, unless you are deliberately doing something to counter it. You know, this word waxed, I also wrote this down. This is the Greek word. I looked in two different things. One of them said that this Greek word was P-S-Y-C-H-O, psycho. The other one said it was P-S-U-C-H-O. Somebody's wrong. I don't know which it is, but you know, I thought that was interesting that the word waxed here was the word psycho. (laughs) Amen. There's bound to be a lesson in that. But I don't know which one is right, but here's what the word literally means. It means to breathe voluntarily but gently and it differs from two other Greek words that are used to breathe. One of them means um, it's similar but it means uh, forcibly and then the second one is a breeze. It differs from those two. This is just a gentle breathing and it says that here's the implication. It means a reduction of temperature by evaporation. In other words, it's just such a slight thing. It's similar to evaporation in the way that when things evaporate that it cools stuff off. It's describing a process that happens so slowly and it is so uh, subtle that people aren't recognizing it. You know, I'm trying to sound an alarm tonight that brothers and sisters, whether you know it or not, we are living in a time where people are openly, openly disregarding God. If you stand up and say that you are a Bible-believing Christian, that you believe in the Word of God, I guarantee you, you are going to be made fun of. You are going to be persecuted. People will look at you like something is wrong with you. If you don't recognize that, you probably just haven't stood and taken a stand much because I can guarantee you, you're going to suffer for it you know i have already like i mentioned over in the uk we've had some re- repercussions to me just saying things that are so simple that you you wouldn't think that in a nation the united kingdom 50 to 100 years ago the vast majority of all the missionaries in the world came out of there and yet today if you say that jesus is the way the truth and the life you could be sent to jail In France, we've got missionaries that we support in France. And did you know that it is against the law to lay hands on a person in France and pray for them? Because uh, especially if they're young or if they're old... Uh, You could be charged with practicing uh, medicine without a license. Or if they're young or old, you could be uh, taking advantage of a handicapped person. A person that isn't yet smart enough to recognize the foolishness of religion. Or a person who's too old and they're getting senile and they're thinking wrong. And so it's against the law to do those things in France. These things are happening. And you know what? Our nation is moving that direction quickly. Praise God, I'm believing it's not going there. But you know what I'm saying? That we are living in a time that the scripture here says that when iniquity abounds, because iniquity abounds, the love of many is going to wax cold. This is the tendency. It's like when you go outside. If it's cold outside, I guarantee you, you have a tendency to cool off. You can't stay out in that cold constantly without either bundling up and putting on something to protect yourself or coming back in to warm up. If you stay in a situation that is like that, you will eventually lose the heat that's in your body and it could cause hypothermia and it could eventually kill you. It's the same thing in our world. You need to wake up and recognize that we are living in an ungodly world and because iniquity abounds, the love of many will wax cold. And I know that there's some people that think, well, this is all for people in other nations. Again, let me just back up. I read this a minute ago, but in verse 9 it says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. This says, of all nations. You know, I I really believe that there is coming a time in the United States... Just because of this scripture, it says it will happen in all nations. I don't know if it will happen in our lifetime. I pray it doesn't. But I wouldn't be at all surprised. If things continue going the way that they are, I've already experienced this in France. I've already experienced it in England. That you know what? I could go to jail for saying some of the things that I say on television. And you know what? I'm still going to say them. I don't care what the results of it is. I'm still going to say them. But my point is, this isn't something that could just happen in another nation somewhere else. This says that you'll be hated of all men for my namesake. All men. If you haven't yet recognized that we are in a hostile environment, you need to. You need to recognize it. i've been traveling and and because of this quote unquote swine flu you see people in the airports wearing these masks and doing things and people using hand sanitizers and people have got afraid because they're aware that there's a potential problem out there if you knew that every person that you met was carrying some kind of a disease and all they had to do was sneeze on you or cough in your face or something like that i guarantee you you'd act differently you need to recognize we are living in a situation where Satan is using the evilness of this world to discourage people, not necessarily over things that are happening to you personally, but you can get discouraged watching politics and reading the newspaper and listening to the news and things like that. The love of many wax cold because of the iniquity, the lawlessness that's in this world. Look over in Luke chapter 21. This is also Jesus teaching on the end times. And in Luke chapter 21, and in verse 26, this is basically the same teaching. There's a few different things said, but it's the same teaching just recorded in a different gospel. In verse 26 it says, "Men's heart's failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens shall be Shaken. In the context, he's talking about how that the sun would actually be darkened. The moon would be turned into blood. The powers of the earth would be shaken. These are some of the things happening in the end times. And it says men's hearts would fail them for fear. This isn't talking about people having a heart attack. The word fail here is literally the word faint. I think that that's the way that it's translated in the NIV and in other translations. It's talking about men's hearts would just literally faint. People would give up. Fear would come upon them. Again, this is the exact opposite of what God was telling Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 where He says, be strong and of a good courage. This is the way we've got to be. We've got to be strong and of a good courage. And we cannot be afraid and we cannot be dismayed. And yet, the environment, the situation that we find ourselves in today is discouraging. And it causes men's hearts to faint. It causes our love for God to grow cold. So we are in a hostile environment that if you just leave it to the natural things, if you don't have a plan, and if you don't take the Word of God and make a deliberate stand, the natural thing is for your love for God to grow cold, for your heart to faint, for you to be discouraged and be dismayed. It is not going to happen accidentally. You know, as I was thinking about ministering these things, I went back through my life and what Jamie and I have been through and... And you know what? I guarantee you there are so many times that Jamie and I just stood and encouraged ourselves in the Lord and we fought discouragement. We never have embraced discouragement. We have never just sat down and said, well, we're discouraged and we give in to it and it's just the way that it is. Sure, we've been discouraged and we've had discouragement come against us, but man, i fought it and fought it and fought it And I tell you, you cannot give in to discouragement. You cannot uh, placate it at all. You have to fight this like the plague. You know, if you knew that somebody was carrying cancer and that somehow or another cancer could be communicated just by somebody touching you or something, if you knew that, I guarantee you that you would act differently. You wouldn't just hang out with that person. You wouldn't let that person communicate that thing unto you. You'd fight it. Well, I'm telling you that there is a cancer in this world. There is a cancer in our society today. Iniquity is abounding and it will cause you to be discouraged and dismayed. And unless you are resisting it and specifically fighting against it, the natural thing is for you to be discouraged and dismayed today. You have to, you have to on purpose choose to be encouraged. And again, I'm going to take a lot of scriptures and show you exactly how to do this. But the point I'm making tonight is it's not going to happen until you make a decision that you aren't going to be discouraged, that you are going to resist this discouragement and you are going to encourage yourself in the Lord. Before I can give you the antidote, I first of all got to show you how dangerous the situation is so that, praise God, people will be motivated to change. Look in Hebrews chapter 12. This is talking about Jesus. And in verse 1 it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. Here again is the same thing. It says that man's hearts will will fail them or faint because of the things that are happening here on the earth. And if you aren't considering Jesus... You know, you could go back to Matthew chapter 14 where Jesus walked on the water to his disciples and Peter saw him and he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come unto you on the water. And the Lord said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on the water. And as long as he was looking at Jesus, he he performed a miracle. He was walking on top of water. This is the only other person recorded in Scripture besides Jesus who ever walked on the water was Peter. And he walked on the water. The scripture doesn't tell us how far he walked. But as long as he looked at Jesus, he could walk on top of the water. But it says that when he saw the wind and the waves boisterous, he was afraid. Which remember those verses we started with over in Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed. When you let fear in, then all of this strong and good courage leaves. He, he saw the wind and the waves and he was afraid and he began to sink. Did you know that the wind and the waves had nothing to do with him walking on the water? He couldn't have walked on the water if it had been a perfectly calm day. If the water had been glass smooth, he couldn't have walked on the water. What did the wind and the waves have to do with anything? It didn't mean anything, but what it did, it's saying when he took his attention off of Jesus. It says here, Consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. When he took his attention off of Jesus, and he began to look at his surroundings, he began to sink. And you know what? This is exactly what all of this evilness and wickedness that we've been talking about does. It grabs our attention we start seeing all of this ungodliness and it takes our attention off of Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith and it causes us to become weary and faint in our mind. It's not your spirit. You're born again spirit's perfect. In the spirit you are awesome. If you've been born again, you've got the life of God, the fullness of God on the inside of you. But the part where you faint is in your mind. And this world has occupied the attention of this generation of believers, I believe more than any generation of believers that have ever lived, through television, radio, all the internet, and all of the access to information that we have, we are hearing things that are happening on the other side of the world at the exact time that they happen. You know, one of the benefits of past generations is that when something happened, it would take two or three or four weeks for people to find out about it because of the uh, way information traveled. And, like for instance, if it was something that wasn't that important, well, after two or three weeks period of time, you know, it was over with and it wasn't a big deal and people were able to kind of deal with it. But we hear stuff at real time and we get all of this terrible things that are going on all over the world just inundated with it in a way that no other generation of believers ever have. We hear about all of the wickedness, all of the perversion, all of the weird things that are going on. It's amazing to me how the news media today reports stuff and the things that they report and the weird stuff that they report. And most of us are paying for it to come into our house. <laughs> You're paying for this discouragement. You're paying for this dismay. But we are just exposed to all of this stuff. It says that we get weary and faint in our mind. And like Peter, we take our attention off of Jesus. And when we look in another direction and see all of this weirdness that's going on, it causes us to sink. I'm telling you, if you are going to be strong and of a good courage and be not afraid and not be dismayed, you are going to have to get fanatical about keeping your mind stayed on God. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 that the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. Your peace is linked directly to what you think upon. And if you are finding yourself discouraged, you know, like I could take for example, I was talking in the offering tonight about the financial situation and they're claiming that this is the worst recession since the Great Depression. If you listen to that and if you're focused on that and hearing everything that they're saying, it's going to discourage you in the area of prosperity. It's going to discourage you from believing that this is a time to step out and begin to believe God and you'll get this fear mentality that will cause you to start making decisions that hurt you instead of help you. This is a great time to be investing. Most millionaires that have been made in the history of this nation have happened during times of hard times when everybody else is afraid and they're selling things for 50 cents on the dollar. People who aren't operating in fear are buying and investing. And then when things turn around, and it will turn around... You know, I prophesied, I don't know if prophesied is the right word, but a year ago during December and January, I taught on these things on my television program and I said, you hide and watch. I said, I can guarantee you by the end of 2009, this thing is going to be turning around. You will start seeing things improve and sure enough, the reports are that things are rebounding and that was long before Obama got in and long before a stimulus plan or anything else. Things just have a tendency of adjusting. The way, One of the reasons that we have this financial problem in the first place is because there were so many... People doing things that were contrary to sound investment. You know, in Colorado alone, they made, I think it was 10,000 loans to illegal aliens to buy houses. When you guarantee money to people who aren't even legal residents, well, you know what? You have a system that is broken and the thing needs to change. There needed to be a pop of this bubble, things needed to change. There's always course corrections. And I was saying that things would turn around, and they are turning around. I can guarantee you that this is not the end of prosperity in the United States. This isn't a time to be pulling back. You ought to be believing God. Those of you that have faith in God, this is a great time for you to go out and buy these houses that other people are dumping. Thank you for both of those amens. (laughs) I know many of you, you can't do that. Because you know why? You're afraid and dismayed. Or maybe you really are in a crisis situation because you haven't been operating in God's economy, but you can get back onto faith and you can start doing things God's way. But brothers and sisters, you if you keep your eyes stayed on Jesus, you can walk on top of the very thing that's causing other people to sink. God wants to prosper you and bless you, but it's, you're going to have to make yourself be strong and of a good courage. And you know, I believe that these meetings this week, God has laid this on my heart. I believe I'm going to say some things that are going to encourage you and help bring you out. But, let me say this, you can't count on me or somebody else encouraging you. Ultimately, you are going to have to get to where like David did in 1 Samuel chapter 30. You're going to have to learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord you're going to have to get discerning enough that when you hear somebody speaking unbelief and doubt and fear on the television or the news or whatever it is, that you take a stand and you counter those things. You know, a passage of Scripture that people quote often is Isaiah chapter 54 verse 17. And that verse says, "...no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, thus saith the Lord." That's a great promise and people quote that all of the time. But notice it says, No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And then it says, And every tongue that rises against you in judgment. You know what? I believe that there's a linkage there. You know how these weapons come against you? Through words. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Romans 10, 17. Unbelief, fear, dismay comes through words. And we are having people speak words that are just terrible, the things that people are saying. And Christians are so gullible. Let me just remind you of something here. Does anybody remember the Y2K stuff? (laughs) Did you know that that was basically a non-issue in the non-Christian world? The non-Christian world, there was some talk about it, but... the Unbelievers didn't make a big deal out of that. You know who it was that amplified this? Were Christians. Christians blew this thing out of proportion. They were teaching that this was the end times, this was the beginning of the tribulation. I had a friend in Chicago that literally sold uh, $600 worth of food stuff and weapons in his church to his people so that they could protect themselves when the Y2K hit and people came to steal their food. They could protect themselves and kill their unsaved neighbors in the name of the Lord. <laughs> I was on a talk show in Dallas, Fort Worth, and they asked me what I thought about it. And I said, that's a non-issue. I said, anybody who believes in this Y2K thing has never traveled around the world. Most of the world wasn't into computers the way that we were. And I said, they were just thinking that, you know, Y2K wasn't going to affect anybody in Uganda. Amen. It's no big deal. It was just people who lived in their own little world and thought that the whole world was dependent upon computers and they amplified this. And anyway, I went on record and began to tell people over a year or, or 18 months out that Y2K was going to be a non-event. And did you know I had a lot, a lot, a lot of Christians get mad at me because they bought into this fear. They were ruled by fear and stuff. And I was asked on this talk show, why wouldn't you believe in this? I said, for one thing, the way that people are motivated to go out and buy this stuff and hoard and buy guns to defend themselves and all of this stuff, it's all fear-based. I said, if it was going to happen, I said, the way to prepare yourself isn't to hoard and buy a gun so that you could kill anybody that came after your food. The way to prosper would be to give. And God will bless you. I said, this whole fear-based thing, I rejected it on the fact that it was fear-based and things like this, and because of it, I was able to recognize the fallacy of it. And I started my television program January the 3rd of 2000. That's the first day that we were on television. And I had my first program. I said, if you are watching this program, then Y2K was a farce. <laughs> Amen. And I came on and thought about it. And I said, and if, it, if you can't see this program, I said, you wouldn't be hearing what I'm saying. But if I'm wrong, I'll come and tell people. All of these people who's told how bad Y2K was going to be, they didn't apologize. Matter of fact, many of them said, well they adjusted in eight months from now, it's going to be the same thing. It's the same thing as the guy who wrote the book about 88 reasons why God would return in 1988. And when that didn't happen, he wrote the book 89 reasons why he's going to return in eight, 1989. And Christians bought into that stuff. You can't depend on some preacher to come through and tell you what's right and wrong. You need to find out the Word of God and you need to get to where you can build yourself up and reject this negativism. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we are living in a non-faith-oriented society. It is detrimental. It is deadly to faith. It is deadly to relationship with God. The lo- As iniquity abounds, the love of most people is growing cold because they don't know how to rightly divide the Word themselves. They don't know what the Word says. They don't encourage themselves in the Lord I'm on television, I'm not against being on television, but I'm telling you, if you have to go to the television to be encouraged, you know, if if you're in a situation like that, well then get encouraged, but eventually get to where you can encourage yourself. You need to get to where you can build yourself up in the Lord. Look over in 2 Peter chapter 2. Here is a classic example of how the ungodly affects the faith of the godly. Let me skip some of these verses and just jump down. Second Peter chapter 2 and in verse 6 it says, "...and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow..." Making them an example unto those that should live, that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot. The word just Lot here doesn't mean that he was the only one that was delivered, because his uh, wife and two daughters were also delivered. But that word, the exact same word that in the uh, seventh verse was translated just, was translated righteous twice in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 8, just one verse later. So this is talking about that he delivered righteous Lot, a godly man. Lot was a godly man. And it says he delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Man, that's a strong word. This says he was vexed. With the filthy conversation of the wicked. In verse 8, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Man, what a classic example of what I'm talking about. When you live in the midst of iniquity, It causes your heart to grow cold unless you do something deliberately to stop this process and to counter it. And I think that most Americans today aren't even aware of how ungodly our surrounding is, how much unbelief there is. You know, I have people come to me all the time and they say, why don't we see every single person healed? And I don't have a total answer for that. I'm still learning. I don't understand everything. But I can guarantee you this. It's God's will that every single person be healed. It's God's will that we be blessed. But we live in a culture that is so full of unbelief that, you know, I think if we were looking at things properly, we would be amazed that we see as many people healed as we do. We live in a culture that is just full of unbelief. People put more faith in what a doctor has to say than what God has to say. Man, you could quote 50 scriptures that talk about healing and yet a doctor could tell you you're going to die and you just fall apart like a $2 suitcase because the word of that doctor is more real to you than what God has to say. I'm looking at Alan and Debbie Moore down here, and they're part of our, what is it, Destiny series or something? They're on one of our videos, but he had a massive stroke, and boy, they went to the doctor, and because, see, they knew the Word of God, they stood there and countered what the doctor had to say. And according to all of the tests, one-third of his brain isn't even working. And yet you're alive and well and walking and talking. Stand up and let them see a man that is supernaturally healed. Isn't this awesome? Praise God. According to the uh, MRIs, it's impossible for him just to stand up like that. They say that one-third of his brain is dead. He shouldn't even be alive, much less able to do anything. And yet they stood there and Debbie and him just stood and countered these things. But most people put more importance on what the doctor has to say. Most people are more moved by what the lawyer has to say than what the news has to say, than what God's Word has to say. I pray with people all of the time and they say, all right, I'm going to go back to the doctor and I'm going to find out if this is true. Man, I'm not saying that you ignore the natural realm or say that sickness doesn't exist. I'm not saying you don't go to a doctor, but I'm telling you if the reason you, you... You aren't going to believe until the doctor says you're healed, then you probably aren't going to be healed. You're going to have to get to the point that you believe what the Word of God says in spite of the negative reports, in spite of the things that are said. And there's not very many people like that. We live in a world of unbelief and it says here talking about uh, uh, Lot that as he lived among them, he vexed his righteous soul from day to day in seeing and hearing their unlawful deeds. And you know why he went down into Sodom and Gomorrah? In the 14th chapter of the book of Genesis, Abram gave him a choice. He says, "The whole land's before us. You can pick whichever way you want to go." And if you've ever been over to Israel, I guarantee you there down there around Horeb, down around the Dead Sea area, you, could, you can walk five and 10 feet in between blades of grass. It's basically a desert. But yet down in the Jordan Valley, it was rich pasture land. Man, the grass was up to the horses' bellies. And Abraham says, pick whichever way you want to go. There was no guessing about what Lot was going to choose. He chose the well-watered area. He went down there where all of the pasture land was, and he went down there for prosperity, but he went down to a place, Sodom and Gomorrah, that was steeped. It says in the 19th chapter of the book of Genesis that when those two angels came down to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, it says that every single man in the city Every man came out. They were every single one of them homosexuals. Every one of them came out and tried to abuse these two angels. He lived in an ungodly place because of the financial advantage it had to him. He thought that he had to do it and it wound up vexing him. Matter of fact, I read some of these other translations. I forget the exact wording right now, but it was terrible. One of them, it says that it drove him crazy. I think that was the Amplified or the Message Bible. It says it drove him crazy in seeing and hearing their unlawful deeds. It vexed him. And as a result, the Lord had mercy on him and brought him and his wife and his two daughters out. But he went and talked to two sons-in-law so that we don't know exactly how many children he had. But there were two of his daughters married to sons-in-laws that when he went and said that God is going to destroy this place because of their wickedness, it says they mocked him and made fun of him and they didn't come out with him. So we know that he lost two daughters and two sons-in-laws. We don't know if he had grandchildren there, but he lost part of his family that were destroyed. His wife longed after Sodom and Gomorrah and she turned around and looked behind her contrary to what the... uh, Angel had told her to do and she turned into a pillar of salt. So his wife was also destroyed in the destruction. And then his two daughters had been corrupted by all of the evilness that went on. And they were afraid that God had destroyed everybody on the face of the earth. That they were the only people left. And so they came up with a plan and they got their father, Lot, drunk and had sex with him while he was drunk. And so there was incest among his own two daughters and Moabites. And the Ammonites came out of that who were people that plagued Israel and killed hundreds of thousands of Israelis because of all of that. All of that came because a man who was righteous, it calls him righteous, went down and dwelt among the ungodly and from day to day in seeing and hearing their unlawful deeds, he vexed his righteous soul. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this is happening to Christians. It's happening to people that are right here tonight. It's happening on a constant basis. We are plugged into this world like no group of Christians have ever been plugged into this world. Watching the same ungodliness, the same adultery, the same lying, the same stealing that the ungodly watch and wondering why we get the same result. Garbage in, garbage out. If you eat things that are bad for you, you're going to have health problems. Spiritually, when we feed on the exact same things that people that don't know God feed on, you're going to get the same results that people that don't know God get. That's pretty simple. This is not rocket science. This is just real simple stuff says over in 1st Peter chapter 2 verse 11 Paul said abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul and the word fleshly lust there some of the other translations are talking about sexual immorality and again you can't even turn on the television and watch if you find a decent program the commercials would kill you they use sex to sell toothpaste It's just terrible, the ungodly. You know, there are many of you that if your parents or grandparents were to see the magazines that you have in your house, the things that you have on your computer, they would just be absolutely shocked. They would scream, pornography, how dare these things happen, and yet we do that and let our little kids watch it and grow up with it. If you haven't recognized, there is a change. And there is rampant ungodliness, and if you aren't aware of the potential damage, then you are going to drop your guard, and you are going to let your love wax cold. You're going to be dismayed and discouraged and have fear on the inside of you just by default because you haven't resisted it. Scripture says resist the devil and he will flee from you. And of course, the classic example of all of this is over in Numbers chapter 13. Let me just share a couple of passages with you. But this is where Moses sent out the spies when they were getting ready to enter into the promised land. And Moses sent these spies out to check out the land. And it was a great land. They they brought back one cluster of grapes. The land was so prosperous that they got one clump of grapes and it was so big, they had to put it on a pole and carry it between two men. That's huge. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was, you know, today, I don't think that there's any place on earth that did that, but the nation of Israel, when the Israelites came into it, it, was a land that was so blessed and so prosperous that two men had to carry one cluster of grapes on a pole between two men. And so they saw all of the goodness, but then they brought up this negative report. And here in Numbers chapter 13, it says in verse 27, they told him and said, We came into the land, whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. And they showed him those grapes. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled, And very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. That's talking about the giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites, and the um, Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. And the man that went up with him said, We be not able to go against the people, for they be stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it were men of great stature... And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. Man, there's a great message there. I had not got time to preach that. But you know what? It doesn't matter how anybody else sees you. It's how you see yourself. It didn't matter if the giants saw them as grasshoppers. The problem was that they saw themselves as grasshoppers instead of the truth. You know, over in the 14th chapter... Uh, Let me just skip over and read a couple of verses. In verse 6 it says, In Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched out the land, rent their clothes, and they spake unto all the uh, company of the children of Israel, saying, Take heed, or, or the land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then He will bring us into the land and give it to... Uh, "...and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear ye for the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not." You know what they were saying? Be strong and of a good courage. Here was Joshua and Caleb being strong and of a good courage, and yet they were in the minority. Ten out of the twelve spies were convinced that no we can't do it they saw the negative side of everything and only two of them believed God and they brought this up and they said we can do it because their defense has departed from them you know real quickly let me read this verse to you out of Joshua chapter 2 this is after the, Moses had died, the children of Israel were getting ready to go into the promised land and they sent some spies into the city of Jericho to check out their defenses and a harlot named Rahab took them into her home and here's what she said in verse 9. It says, and, the, and she said unto the man, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard of the, how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what he did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sion and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our heart did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. She said, the moment we heard about the crossing of the Red Sea, our heart melted and there was no strength left in any man. Did you know Joshua and Caleb over here in the 14th chapter of the book of Numbers says, let's go up and take it because their defense has departed from them. That's exactly what Rahab said. Did you know that the truth is, even though they were giants and even though it looked like they were strong, the truth is from Rahab, she says our hearts melted and all of our defense departed from us. If the Israelites would have understood what was going on, if they would have encouraged themselves in the Lord and have obeyed God, they never would have spent 40 years in the wilderness. That generation that came out of the land of Egypt never would have died. They wouldn't have had to go through all those hardships and the serpents biting them and all of the judgments and things. They could have lived in the promised land. But they allowed themselves to be discouraged. They listened to the negative report of other people. And because of it, it cost an entire generation their life. An entire generation of people passed away because of the negative report of ten people. Because of them bringing up this thing. All of these negatives And somebody might say, well, they were true. Well, it was true that, yes, they were giants, but see, they didn't present that, oh, their heart has melted on the inside of them. They are more afraid of us than we are of them. They don't present all of these things. Sure, there may be problems in our world today, but people aren't going to put it into the right perspective. Like some of you heard talk about the recession, and they said, it's it's the worst thing since the Great Depression, and they're talking about how bad it is. Did you know the the last statistic that I saw, and this has been a while ago, so it may not be accurate, but at the worst that I saw, there was about 4 or 6% foreclosures on houses in this nation during the last year. Do you know what the foreclosure rate was during the Great Depression? 49 point something percent just right at 50%. And yet people would say it's, it's the worst thing since the Great Depression and they didn't put it into its proper perspective. And you know what it did? It discouraged people. And it caused people to start operating in fear. And one of the things that happened, we got a Barna survey that David down here gave me and, and Barna did a survey and the very first thing that happened when all this recession hit was that Christians cut back on their giving Up to 50% of all Christians quit giving because of a fear about the economy. The worst thing, the absolute worst thing you could do if there is a a financial problem is to quit your giving. But see, people listen to all of this stuff and it causes fear on the inside of them and it causes people to cut off the very thing that is your lifeline. God says give and it will be given unto you. Man, the moment you quit giving, you have just stopped the flow of God's blessing. You have hurt yourself. And yet I can guarantee you there's a lot of people that listen to the ten spies that were negative. They listened to all of these things. They heard people say this is the worst recession, talked about how bad everything was. And I guarantee you it's not near as bad. People blew this stuff out of proportion. You know, I might as well say these things. I'm going to be leaving town in a little bit anyway. <laughs> but you know, Al Gore has made like a 100 billion dollars or million dollars or something off all this global warming stuff, and it's a hoax. that's my opinion. Some of you may disagree with that. But just last month they found those emails where the people over in England who were some of the experts that were leading some of these things that were proven to have lied and have held back information. We just went on a cruise this summer up in um, uh, the Inside Passage in Alaska. And did you know what? Many of the glaciers are advancing instead of retreating. I never have understood. You know, if you put an iceberg, I mean, an iceberg is water, isn't it? Frozen water. You know, if you had a glass of water and if you had ice in it, did you know when the ice melts, it doesn't run over? Isn't that true? Hadn't anybody ever tried this before? If you take ice in a glass and melt it, the, the level of water doesn't change in the glass. And yet this whole thing is the, the glaciers. The icebergs are going to melt and the world's going to flood. Something's wrong with this logic. I'm not real smart, but I'm smart enough to know better than that. There's just a lot of things going on today. And you know what? They're making money off of it. And there's reasons why they're doing it. And Christians are operating in fear... I just read a scripture this week about, that. this is in Psalms, I'd have to look up the exact verse, but it says, the shields of the earth belong to the Lord. And I got to meditating on that, the shields of the earth. I guess you would have to say that the atmosphere is one of the shields, it's what keeps bad rays from coming in and causes meteors to to burn up and things like that. And it says it belongs to the Lord. In other words, God's the one that takes responsibility for defending this earth. It's the height of arrogancy to think that we can sit here and destroy the shields of the earth with our puny things. You know, cows cows produce 24% of all of the CO2 emissions in the world. Mankind, with all of our industry, only produces 1%. If we just went back to horse and buggy days, all we could do is decrease the CO2 emissions by 1%, kill all the cows, we would get rid of 24%. (laughs) I tell you, we are being lied to on a consistent basis. I know some of you have probably taken offense over what I've said, and I'm not going to sit here and argue over these things. This isn't the crux of the gospel but I am going to stand and defend this, that we are being systematically lied to and there are things that are being said that cause fear in us. Like I was over in the United Kingdom in 2005, October of 2005, and I happened to turn on the BBC and the leading expert in the, in, uh, the British health care system, Uh, They were interviewing him and they said, Is this avian flu going to turn into a pandemic that will affect the whole world? He says, Oh, there is no question about if it will happen. It's just a matter of when. It could be one year or two years at the most. But I can guarantee, these are his exact words, that one third of the world population will die by avian flu within two years. That was in October of 2005. October of 2007, I was in the UK again, and I read in the USA Today that there had been a total of 12 deaths worldwide (laughs) by avian flu. And this was the leading British expert. And some people think, well, you just have to err on the side of caution. No, I guarantee you that caused fear in a lot of people. You know, they do the same thing with hurricanes. They've prophesied that the hurricane season was going to be the worst that has ever hit, and the last few years has been some of the mildest hurricane seasons that we've ever had. And yet, out of Boulder, Colorado, they prophesy that we are going to have anywhere from 15 to 17 major hurricanes when there was only one. And people say, well, you just that's the way you have to be. You have to be cautious. Know what that does is drive insurance up, People weren't able to pay their premiums and people who did have storms happened lost and it caused tremendous economic damage and it does a lot of damage. And brothers and sisters, I can guarantee you with just those two examples and there's many more, we are being systematically lied to because bad news sells. They present things in the worst possible light and these things, according to all of these scriptures I've used tonight... This ungodliness, this wickedness affects your relationship with God if you allow it to. You've got to recognize we are living in a hostile environment. You've got to recognize it the same way that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Unbelief, fear, doubt comes by hearing all of the junk that is being spoken. And you're going to have to take some responsibility and stand up and start being discriminating in what you hear and see, and listen to. You'll vex your righteous soul if you don't. It'll cost you your family. And some of us think, well, boy, that's a huge leap from what the Bible says to what you're saying. No. Lot lost his wife, his children. And you know what? There are people today that are losing their family members through death, through divorce, through things like this, because we don't know how to stand in the Word of God, because we have been polluted. Our love has grown cold. And it's affecting people. I'm telling you, we need to make a stand. And so this is what I'm going to be talking about all week long. Is Tonight I've just tried to present the, the situation, the crisis. And we are in a crisis. And if you don't recognize we're in a crisis, well then your love has already started waxing cold. You've already got a number of layers of insensitivity between you and God. If you can... Enjoy all of the ungodliness of this world and if things don't bother you, something is wrong with you. It should bother you. It should bother you to see people doing these things. And so we need to first of all recognize the crisis before we can solve the problem. When you go to the doctor, he's going to tell you how bad it is, what the potential damage is, trying to motivate you to take a different course, to change your diet, to change your lifestyle, to do something. He'd have to tell you how bad the situation is before you'd accept the remedy. And so this is what I've tried to do. I know that this may not be one of those shouting sermons, get you all excited, but I tell you, I think that this is going to make a difference if you can understand this. You don't have to let your love grow cold. You know that scripture about the love of many a wax cold? I remember in Vietnam... I was on bunker guard one night and they all they gave us was short sleeve um, fatigues because we were in a tropical climate. It didn't get real cold over there, but I was up in the mountains of Vietnam and I remember on guard duty one night, it was cold. It wasn't below freezing, but it was cold. And uh, man, I was, I was cold. And they actually brought coffee by the closest I ever came to drinking coffee in my life. I took (laughs) hot steaming coffee and I put it between my legs and warmed my hands off of the steam. And when it quit steaming, I poured it over my hands to thaw them out. That's the closest I ever got to drinking coffee. And I remember I was praying and I had just read this verse, Luke chapter uh, 21, about the love Or Where was that? Matthew chapter 24 verse 12 about the love of many will wax cold because of iniquity. And I was cold and I was thinking about this and I was saying, Oh God, I do something to help me warm up. And they came by and brought a blanket. And I remember I was never as thankful for anything as I was that blanket. And when my bunker guard duty was over, I got down in that bunker and I wrapped up in that blanket and I began to feel that warmth. And I remember... The Lord just speaking to me, and He says, you know what? In the same way as I provided that blanket and gave you that physical warmth, He says, I'm going to answer your prayer, and I'm going to keep your love from growing cold. And I remember that, man. That was, uh, that was a long, long time ago. That was about 19, 1970 sometime, and I remember God speaking that to me. And you know what? When you get cold, you have to do something like put on some clothes or put a blanket on. And we are in a situation that's causing the majority of people's love to grow cold. You need to do something. And I've got a blanket for you. Amen? I've got some scriptures that are going to make a difference. And I can promise you, if you will do the things that we're going to share, I believe it will counter this wickedness and these things that cause this discouragement and dismay on the inside of you, and so I want to encourage you as much as you can to possibly to come back and be a part of this. Also, we're recording all of these sessions. Matter of fact, tonight's message will be available within five minutes of the close of tonight, and you can get DVDs and CDs of this. But you need to get this teaching because unless you do something, unless you plan to succeed, you're planning to fail unless you have a deliberate plan to encourage yourself in the Lord, you aren't going to be encouraged. It is not normal to be encouraged. It's normal to be discouraged. It's normal to be dismayed. It's normal to be afraid. It's abnormal to be strong and of a good courage. But it is certainly doable. There are things in the Word of God that will tell you exactly how to do it. And praise God, I want to be a part of encouraging you and helping you be strong and of a good courage. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we just love you, and we thank you, Father, for the warning. Thank you for the Word of God. And, Father, I believe that through the Scriptures, that when we leave this place on Saturday night, Father, I believe people are going to be strong and of a good courage. I believe that they are going to have a deliberate plan and understanding about how to keep the wickedness of this world from making our love grow cold. Father, thank you. We believe that you sent the Holy Spirit to be the comforter, to encourage us, to build us up. And we just submit to your ministry. Father, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to open up the Word of God. That you are going to make these truths come alive on the inside of us. And Father, I pray for those that are in this place tonight. And Father, we are going to go back wherever we came from, red hot. We are going to be a part of the solution instead of a part of the problem. And Father, we are going to help warm other people up to the love of God. Cause them to catch on fire and operate in the supernatural power of God. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you to come and to set us on fire to thaw the hardness, coldness in any single person's life. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I just feel in my heart that there are many of you here tonight that would say, without any debate, you know that your love has grown cold. That you have walked away from your first love. And you just need, you need something to happen. You know, I'm going to teach you a lot of things about how to encourage yourself in the Lord, but there's some of you that you just need a jump start. You need some help. I want to ask, first of all, before I do anything else, if you're here and if you know that your love has grown cold, And that, man, you are in a crisis situation and you just need a supernatural start from God. I'd like to ask you to be bold enough to just stand right where you are. And I want to pray for you and believe God to do something special in your life. And we are going to pray and I believe that God is going to make a difference. If that's you, just be bold enough. I know some of you are thinking, I don't want to stand up in front of all of these people. You know, that's part of what makes your love grow cold is the fear of men. You need to get to a place where God, I don't care if this is what I need, I'm going to receive it. And I don't care who, I don't care who sees what, I'm going to do what I need to do. You've got to get to a place to where you are more concerned about the results than you are about what people think about you. Anybody else? Father, I pray for all of these right now and I just thank you that they've humbled themselves. The Word of God says that if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that you will lift us up. So, Father, these have humbled themselves. We've admitted that, Father, our love has grown cold for whatever reason. And we just thank you, Father, that you love us and that you want us to be passionate about you more than we want it. So, Father, as we stand, we just ask for the fire of God to fall. Like Elijah called fire down on the sacrifice. Father, we call fire, the fire of God, down into these hearts that You would touch people and that whatever the hurt and the pains are, whatever has caused our love for You to grow cold, Father, we believe that right now through the anointing of the Holy Spirit that You are touching these people and revealing Your love to them, showing them how much You love them. And Father, we thank You for that. We agree and we believe that right now you are lighting a fire on the inside of them that's going to grow and increase and that, Father, our relationship with you is going to be strong. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all agree? Praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. You know, let me ask tonight that if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus personally, you may know about God. The Bible says that the devils even believe and tremble at the name of God, but the devils aren't saved. You've got to do something that the devil has never done, and that is you have to commit your life to Jesus. You have to turn your life over. The Bible says in Romans ten nine that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you got to say that He's Lord, and that's more than just a word. You are committing your life to Him. It doesn't mean that you'll be perfect, that you'll never make a mistake but that you're saying, I want you to rule and control my life. You trust Him. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you have never done that, you may believe that God exists, you may be a good person, but if you haven't committed your life, turned your life over to Him, I guarantee you, it's impossible for you to stay strong and have a good courage. You've got to be changed from the inside out. If you have never made Jesus your Lord, the first thing you have to do is be born again. And then after you're born again, you also need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I could talk a long time about that. Sometime during this series, I will be talking more about the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You must, must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Somebody says, so do you believe you have to have the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues before you go to heaven? No. I believe you can go to heaven without speaking in tongues. Matter of fact, you can get there quicker because you aren't going to have any power in your life and Satan will kill you along the way. No, I don't think you have to do this in order for God to love you, but I'm telling you the Holy Spirit is sent to give you passion and to give you power so that you can start walking in victory. If you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues, it's not limited to speaking in tongues, but that's one of the things that happens. If you don't speak in tongues, I guarantee you it's like charging hell with a water pistol. You need power. You need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we can help you do that. We see hundreds of people, every one of our Gospel Truth seminars receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. So is there anybody here tonight who would say, I need one or both of those. I either need to be born again, make Jesus my Lord, and or I need this baptism of the Holy Spirit and need to speak in tongues. Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Anybody, if that's you, raise your hand. Praise the Lord. Quite a few people. I know that there's somebody thinking, well, I thought I got the Holy Spirit when I was born again. I hadn't got time to teach on this, but I'm saying that if you don't speak in tongues, you are not operating in the fullness of what God wants you to do. And that's not all that there is to it, but that is something that every single person who receives the Holy Spirit should do. Speaking in tongues is a powerful, powerful experience. If you haven't received that, you need to receive it. Somebody says, well, they don't teach that in my church. That's the reason I'm not in your church. That's the reason I had to rent a building, amen, to preach this. But I'm telling you, it's what happened to me. If you raised your hand, or if you were supposed to raise your hand, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward? And we want to pray with you and help you to receive right here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Just staying right down there, okay? This is C.K. He got healed tonight. Praise the Lord. I know some of you are probably thinking, what are you going to do? We're going to pray for you and give you a free book. What a deal. You got nothing to lose. You know, if you would... Spread out all the way because we're going to have people come stand behind you and lay hands on you. And so if you're stacked like this behind each other, it's hard to get people to come up behind. So if you would, just spread out over this way. We've got room and we want to have people come stand behind you and lay hands on you. Could you do that? That would be a help. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I know that there's still some people out there that you don't speak in tongues and yet you aren't coming. There's probably some of you who see me on television and because I don't scream and shout and spit, you didn't realize I was one of these tongue talkers. And you came here under false pretenses. Amen. And you're shocked. But I'm telling you, I speak in tongues. If I didn't speak in tongues, you would have never seen me on television. I was an introvert. And when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's what gave me power in my life. And so if you like the fruit, and yet you're going to reject the root, that doesn't make sense. I'm telling you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, has been a super important part of everything that God has done in my life. And if you want this power to be able to stand against all of this stuff that's happening in our world today, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Anybody else here want to come and receive? Praise the Lord. You know, we got somebody over here speaking in tongues. You know, you need to stop since you aren't, don't have an interpreter. Amen. That's fine. You can just praise God, but don't be loud enough to distract everybody else. Amen. Before you are going to receive this gift of speaking in tongues, the Bible says that you have to receive Jesus first. Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit, so you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. You must be born again first. The Holy, Holy Spirit only comes and fills people who are already born again. So is there anybody here who isn't born again? You are, if you aren't sure about whether Jesus is truly your Lord, the Bible says that when you get born again, you have a witness in yourself. You know that you've passed from death unto life. If there's anybody who's not absolutely sure about that, the first thing I need to do is to pray with you. You need to make sure that you're born again because you can't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues until you've first of all been born again. Is there anybody here who would raise your hand and say, I'm not sure. Would you pray with me? I want to make sure that Jesus is my Lord. Here's a couple over here. Anybody else? Here's another one. Anybody else? Here's some down here. Are you sure? I'm not trying to talk you out of your faith. I'm just saying you need to be sure. There's so many people today that think, "Well, I'm a good person, I go to church. That doesn't make you a Christian. Have you made Jesus your Lord? Have you ever really said, "Father, I am trusting you totally." You know, here's a way that you could tell. If you stood before God right now, and if He says, "What makes you worthy to come into heaven, what would you say? Would you point to well, I'm a good person? I'm trying to do right. I go to church. I pay my time. If you point to anything, any goodness of your own, you aren't truly born again. A born again person would say, it's not me. It's my Savior. I've made Jesus my Savior. Anybody else here want to raise your hand? Anybody else? All the rest of you are sure? All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray with those of you that raised your hand. And what I'm going to do is pray a prayer consistent with what the scripture says in romans chapter 10 verse 9 and i'm going to say the words that you need to say and i'd like to ask you to repeat after me matter of fact i'd like to ask every person in here to pray this prayer with me just so that they won't feel like we're listening to them and if you will repeat this prayer and mean it in your heart then the bible says you will be born again If you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead. It's not magic. You just saying the words won't work. You have to believe it. But if you will say it and believe it, you'll be born again. Is that a good deal? Is that a good deal? That was a question. Amen. All right, so let's everybody say this. And those of you that raised your hand, I want you to specifically pray with me and believe this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. Right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. you believe that? you believe that? Amen. Amen. Praise God. You know, if you meant that, if you prayed that and meant it, then according to the Scripture, you just became a brand new person. You were totally changed on the inside. You'll spend the rest of your life trying to get your head to catch up with what's happened in your heart. And now, every person down here has already prayed that prayer and you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit that's what the scripture says when you get born again you were created by God to be a temple of the Holy Spirit so we don't have to beg God to come give you the Holy Spirit He created you for this this is what He made you for He wants you to have the power of the Holy Spirit you do not have to beg so we're just going to ask one time what we're going to do is say Father I'm just opening up the doors of my temple And I'm welcoming you to come fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I guarantee you, He wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit more than you want to be filled. So we're just going to open up our heart. And then I've got all of our prayer ministers. I'm going to ask them to come up here. And these people are going to lay hands on you. Because the Bible says through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit is given. So these are people that have already received the Holy Spirit. And they're going to lay hands on you and release this power on the inside of you. So that's what we're going to do. You're going to ask just one time. Then they are going to lay hands on you and release the power of the Holy Spirit into you. And then I want you to quit asking. There's a time to ask and there's a time to receive. We're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on And then I want you to start thanking God. Take a step of faith and just start thanking God. That Father, thank you that I did receive the Holy Spirit, that you did give me... It says in uh, Luke eleven thirteen, 13, If you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's a promise. If you ask, He's going to give. So we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you, and then I want you to start thanking Him by faith that He gave you the Holy Spirit. Some people have great emotional experiences when they receive the Holy Spirit. When I received the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel a thing. It was faith. I had to, by faith, say, The Bible says that believers will speak with new tongues, and I'm a believer, and I just had to, by faith, believe that I had it. I didn't feel a thing, but you know what? I got it. And some of you may feel wonderful, some of you may not feel a thing, but we aren't asking for a feeling, we're believing God for the Holy Spirit. So we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on, you're going to start thanking God. At that time, I want you to lift your hands. This is after we pray for you. I want you to lift your hands like when somebody sticks a gun in your back. And you go, I surrender. I yield. Because the Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. So after we pray, I want you to lift your hands and start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to pray in tongues And start worshiping God. Because the Bible says when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks to God. So we're going to start thanking God in our language. And you can start speaking with us. And I know some of you think, well, I don't know how to speak in tongues. What do I do? I've got a book that will explain the whole thing. And I had not got time right now to preach on all of this. But I'll give you a book. If you're ready, you can speak in tongues with us right now. The Holy Spirit, it's like... When you get the Holy Spirit, it's like getting a pair of tennis shoes. They all come with tongues. Amen. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, God's going to give every one of you this gift of speaking in tongues. But He's not going to force you to talk. This is the number one thing that hinders people from speaking in tongues. They think that the Holy Spirit's going to just control them and force them to speak in tongues. That's not how it works. The Bible says in Acts 2 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. You do the talking. The Holy Spirit doesn't talk in tongues. He just inspires you, and you have to speak. So, anyway, I'll explain it more in this book, but if you're ready, you can pray in tongues with us right now. Is everybody ready? Everybody understand what we're going to do? I want you to say this after me say, I'm a believer, and I will speak with tongues. Amen. Father, I thank you for all of these. They've all been born again now. They've confessed you as their Lord. According to the scripture, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, right now, we just open up the doors of our temple and we welcome you to come into our life. We believe that you want this more than we do. We want the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our life and we welcome you. We open up the doors and say come Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus now Father we lay hands on them and we loose this anointing of the Holy Spirit to flow into their lives right now Holy Spirit just come and fill them come and control their life burn up all of the carnal things all of the things that hinder us we loose this power in them right now in Jesus name now I want you to lift your hands and start thanking God out loud Talk out loud. You can start in English, but thank Him. Thank you, Father, that I am now baptized in the Holy Spirit. From this moment on, I am God-possessed, that your power flows on the inside of me, that I now am not living by myself, but that your anointing is flowing in me. Thank you, Jesus. Those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's start praying in tongues right now. And as we speak in tongues... I want you to start speaking with us. Just speak right now. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you say. But your tongue is going to be unique to you. It's not going to be the same as that other person. But you've got to start talking. If you don't know what to say, try and say what they're saying. I can promise you, you won't be able to say what they're saying. But once you start, don't quit. Just keep talking. Right now, let's just glorify the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You can't talk in tongues and English at the same time. You're going to have to quit speaking in English. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. you got hope in your mouth. Don't worry about what it sounds like. It's like when a little kid starts speaking. It may not make sense to anybody but the parents, but that dad knows what he's saying. Your Heavenly Father knows that you're trying to communicate with Him. It'll become fluent, it'll work, but just right now, speak out of your heart. You're bypassing your head, you're bypassing all of the doubt and the unbelief. Just speak right now and glorify God. The Bible says you are glorifying Him. You're magnifying God by speaking in tongues. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we bless your holy name. Thank you, Jesus. That's it. Man, you are speaking hidden wisdom, mysteries in your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Let me have your attention here for just a minute, if you would. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you know what? This could be one of the most important things that has ever happened in your life. You know, I've only spent just a few minutes talking to you about the Holy Spirit, but this literally changed my life. The Bible says you receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you need to understand this fully to get the full benefit out of it. You know, I now am receiving more benefit from receiving the Holy Spirit than I did when I first received it because I understand more and the Holy Spirit is working in my life. You need to understand this. And so I've got a book that I want to give every one of you that will explain this. It's a free gift. And also we have some people that if you have questions... If you didn't speak in tongues and you want to speak in tongues, they will pray with you and help you. But we just want you to get the maximum benefit from this. This really could change your life more than anything that has happened to you at, with the exception of being born again. So I want you to get the full benefit of it. So because of that, we've got a room and where they're going to give you the books and they will pray with you and help you any way that they can. Uh, where's Ashley? Oh, right here is Ashley. This is Ashley right here, and he's going to lead you right over here. It's just right next door, and we've got books we want to give you. There is no, We aren't charging you. We're just here to help you. We want you to get the maximum benefit, okay? So if you would, just follow Ashley right here. It'll only take a minute, and we want to bless you and help you to receive. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Isn't this awesome? Thank you, Jesus awesome praise the lord praise the lord i tell you what this is going to change your life that's what i believe amen god bless you you know we have seen thousands and thousands of people receive the baptism of the holy spirit And I mean, it's changing people's lives. matter of fact, Jamie's sister and brother-in-law just received the baptism of the Holy Spirit a year ago at our meeting in Dallas, Fort Worth. And you know, he was a pastor of a Baptist church. And we've been friends and we've had a great relationship, but there was just something missing. But boy, since they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's like they are brand new people we are having a wonderful time with them we have seen firsthand up close how the baptism of the holy spirit just changes your life and i believe that's happening for all of these i believe it's going to make a huge huge difference in their life these are our prayer ministers here these are people that are bible college graduates bible college students friends john and nancy here pastor locally sal these people have been friends of mine for nearly 30 years And many of them are just strong believers. And the point of having them up here is I can't pray with every single person. But you know what? We can pray with every person here if you will allow these people to come and pray with you. And if you have a need tonight, if it's physical or whatever it is, whether it's financial or anything, we'd like to encourage you to come. And these are our prayer ministers. And they are going to lay hands on you. And they will spend much more time with you and give you more attention than what I would be able to do. So if you would like prayer for anything, I'd like to ask you to just get up out of your seat and come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers here agree with you and believe God for a miracle. We've got people standing at the aisles and the purpose of this is to direct you towards a person so that you won't all go to one side. It'll help speed it up. But if you would like prayer for anything, come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers pray with you and agree and see a miracle happen the rest of you if you'll wait just a few moments we're going to let them get out into the aisles i do stand here and i pray with these people and i often call out gifts of healings and miracles and we see a lot of miracles happen just through a word of knowledge so you're welcome to stay and pray with us if you'd like to and we're going to see god perform miracles for these people down here Uh, If you need to go, you're free to go now. Remember that we have DVDs and CDs of tonight's service out there. Also, we have all of the tapes and books and materials. Please take advantage of that. Remember that I'll be back tomorrow at 10 in the morning, also Saturday at 10. Tomorrow night at 7 o'clock and Saturday night at 6 o'clock. Praise God. You're dismissed if you need to be. Father, we love you and we thank you, Father, that it is your will that every single one of these be completely healed. Every one. Father, I know that you did it. You said that the works that you did, we can do also. So we believe, Father, for your miraculous power to manifest right now. We stand in agreement and we come against sickness and disease And Satan, we curse you and we command you to let these people go now in the name of the Lord Jesus. We command sickness off of people in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Right now, I believe that the Lord is healing people with allergies, all kinds of allergies, whatever it is. If you've got an allergy, I believe that the anointing of God right now is setting you free from that. If that's you, I want you to... I want you to stand up and if you're already standing raise your hand but I want to see who it is I'm praying for if that's you stand and raise your hand and we're going to release the anointing of God and break allergies over you in Jesus name Father in the name of Jesus for these people standing with their hands up in the name of Jesus allergies we rebuke you and we command you to leave these people right now in Jesus name thank you Father I believe that that's broken over you right now. And Father, now I pray that you get these allergies out of their mind, out of their thinking, that they won't think this way, that they won't be captive to this anymore. Father, set them free. Help them to believe that they are free right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. That's the anointing of God. Father, we thank you that right now they are healed in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise God. We agree and we receive that. You know, I I was in a meeting in Heidelberg, South Africa. And I called out that people were being healed of allergies. Just exactly like what we did right now. And a man had uh, allergies to peanuts. He said that his son ate peanuts one time and just, they went to sleep. He was putting his son to sleep and his son breathed on him and he nearly died. He went to the hospital and he nearly died. His whole throat swollen and everything. And anyway, he heard me call this out. He believed that it was him. And he went to the snack bar and bought a a bar of peanuts and ate it. And he appeared on our television thing about an hour and a half after he ate it. He said he would have been dead by then and he was totally set free. And it was just exactly what we did right here. You know what? I believe that God has healed every person, but you have to mix it with faith. You need to believe. Believe that God touched you. If you can't feel it, if you can't tell physically, just believe that God has healed you. And let God get that sickness, that allergy out of your mind. Don't you go eat peanuts unless you believe, amen? But if you believe, I believe you're free. I believe God set people free from allergies right now in Jesus' name. Father, we agree and we receive that. Somebody here has had a heart problem. You got a, you got a pain right here in the very center of your chest, right here where your rib cage comes up. You've had a pain right here. Somebody's been having pain right there. Here's the healing power of God flowing towards you. If that's you, I want you to stand up and wave your hands at me so I can see who this is. Anybody else? Here's one. Here's another one. Anybody else? Here's another one over here. Anybody else? I want you to identify yourself. It's important that you do something. Father, I pray for these right now in the name of Jesus. Whatever this problem has been, this pain... I command it to stop now in Jesus' name. And the root of that pain, if it's their heart or whatever it is, you be healed now in the name of Jesus. Father, we loose your anointing. Right there is the power of God flowing in you. Father, we agree and we receive this. Here's that pain leaving you right now. Father, thank you for healing them. Thank you that this pain is gone right now in Jesus' mighty name. We agree and we receive it. And thank you for this healing in the name of Jesus. Amen. Did any of you have pain before we prayed? Did you have pain tonight? Did you have pain before we prayed? Did you have pain tonight before we prayed? You got any pain left? (laughs) It feels good or you... That's good. You know why that pain's gone? because you're healed it's not an accident amen how about this lady over here did you have pain before we were praying i can't see you but the lady who was standing up did you have pain before we prayed you have been having it intermittently well i believe it just goes and goes it never comes and goes again amen isn't that great Praise God. I prayed with about a dozen people before the service tonight who were instantly set free from pain and different things like that. I believe that God is healing every one of these. Every single person. Father, we agree and we receive. You know, there's somebody here that's had a tumor in your breast. You've got a lump or something. I don't know if you've had it diagnosed, but here's the healing power of God flowing towards you. I curse that thing in the name of Jesus. If this is you, if you've had a tumor in your breast, I want you to stand up and we're going to pray and we're going to believe that God sets you free. If that's you, I want you to stand up and raise your hand so I can see who this is. Here's some people over here. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Father, we release your anointing right now and we command these tumors... He says to be gone now in the name of Jesus. Whatever caused this, we command you to die. Cancer, we command you to die and quit growing in the name of Jesus. And Father, now we believe that your anointing is flowing through their body and repairing whatever damage has been done to their body. Thank you, Jesus. Pain, we command you to be gone out of them now in the mighty name of Jesus. We agree and we receive. Hallelujah. I believe that's the power of God healing you. I believe that those things are dead and they're going to dry up and leave you from this time forward. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody here has been having teeth problems. You've got pain. Somebody here has got pain right now in your teeth. Who's that? I want you to stand. We're going to pray with you and God's going to set you free. This pain's leaving you. Here's a person back there that has... Here's a number of people with pain. I believe that this pain's going to leave you right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we just thank you and we release your anointing right now to flow towards these. And we command decay, infection, whatever the problem is, to be healed. We curse that sickness and command it to go. And Father, we loose your anointing right now to flow through their body. And thank you that this pain leaves them right now in Jesus' name. Every bit of this pain. Father, we receive a complete deliverance from this pain right now in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father. Amen. So who had pain? Do you still have any pain? Give me a thumbs up or thumbs down. Thumbs up. No pain. Isn't that good? Anybody else? How about the lady back here in the green? Did you have pain tonight? Do you have any pain now? Praise the Lord. Isn't that good? I believe that God set every one of you free. God doesn't just touch one or two people. The Lord is the same. I believe God's healing has come into every one of you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. You know, I feel like there's just a lot of people sitting here waiting on me to call out your specific healing. (laughs) You know what? I would like to ask you, I believe that this is the Lord, that if you have something, if you are believing God for something and if you want me to just put myself in agreement, I want you just to stand right where you are and lift your hands and we're going to pray for you and we're going to get all of these things healed at once. I don't have to call out your specific healing. Jesus has already dealt with every one of you. All you got to do is receive it. Father, we thank you. And right now, I just thank you for every one of these. Father, whatever the situation is, thank you that you have already provided it, that you have already healed every single person's body, that by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. So right now we receive this and we just release our authority and command you sickness to leave us. Satan, loose us and let us go now in the name of Jesus. Don't just listen to me but you pray with me right now and you speak to your body. Body, we command you to receive the healing power of God. Pain, leave our body. Swelling, leave this body now in the name of Jesus. Infection, Leave us now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Body, you recover. Heal. Mend now in the name of Jesus. Somebody was damaged by surgery. Surgery messed you up. There was a complication. Right here is the healing power of God. Healing what what surgery messed up in you. Father, we receive this healing right now. And we just thank you, Father, that you are touching all of these bodies and that your healing power is flowing in them right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Father, we agree and we receive that. I want you right now to begin to start thanking God and praising God for your healing. Regardless of what you feel like, let's just take a step of faith and, Father, thank you that your healing power is flowing in our body. That we have been healed. It's already done. And now our body is recovering. It's responding positively now in the name of Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive these miracles right now in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Praise God. Y'all agree? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Well, God bless you. Remember, we're going to be back tomorrow at 10 o'clock in the morning. And they're going to have some breakfast and lunch things here if you desire to use that. Praise God. I hope you're able to come back. I think that this is going to help you this week. So God bless you. You're dismissed. See you in the morning.